Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to cut the BS using profanity and reality bombs to make shift happen. My first guest is Dr. Jody Eckleberry Hunt. She is a recovering people pleaser, warrior, control freak, and MFer. Jody Eckleberry Hunt earned her PhD in counseling psychology and is a board certified health psychologist. Through her extensive counseling experience and personal struggles, she developed the idea of combining cognitive behavioral techniques, mindfulness techniques, and profanity, yes, ladies and gentlemen, swear words, to help people get over themselves and what keeps them from achieving what they want. She's the author of a few books, but the one we're talking about today is Move On Mother Effer. Live, laugh, and let Shiza go. Hi, Jody. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I love the creativity with the profanity. Well, we have to be creative because I get my hands slapped by our terrestrial radio stations that carry the show. On the podcast, we can let our freak fly. So I have to behave. I've had my hands slapped many times over 10 years. So that, that it allows me another creative avenue, like how I can get my swear words to not be swear words, but they're still swear words. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and uh, still have the same effect of evoking the laughter. Exactly. Let's talk about you and your background in psychology and what makes you eminently qualified to write this self-help book. Wow. Eminently qualified. So I have been doing therapy for over 25 years. And what is super interesting to me is it's taken me this long to figure all of this out. And I think the uh, the point is that all along the way in helping other people, I'm working on myself too. <laughs> and I have noticed, I, I teach people, so just basically cognitive behavioral therapy is identifying the negative voice or the dysfunctional voice in our heads. We all have it. That's sort of judging all the time, even if we're not aware of it. And learning to argue back and say, prove that. And mindfulness is about being in the present. And it's sort of a everyday practice or every moment practice reminding yourself, okay, in this moment, what do I want to focus on? What's going on? What am I feeling? Well, I've done that with people for years. And, and, and generally, people find it helpful. I have found it helpful. But there are some times that the pain, guilt, shame, whatever emotion it is, is so overwhelming, we have a hard time getting past it. Maybe we have a momentary relief, but we're just not able to overcome. And so I discovered on my own 
it's my uh, with my own pain that cussing pro- targeted profanity actually provides a cathartic emotional relief and part of that is also evoking laughter a laughter at what we are doing to create some of our own pain and so maybe a little bit backward but it is what it is once i found that it worked for me and worked with some of my friends that i was sharing it with i decided to use it with some of the folks who came into my office and they also told me that it was super effective and again we saw a lot of laughter come about so i actually jumped into the research and found that bona fide uh, researchers at Harvard and some other big universities, neurolinguists, cognitive psychologists, they have found that using profanity in targeted ways does re- reduce physical pain. And the thought is also some emotional pain. It is because we were told at a very young age, you shouldn't cuss. Uh, good good kids don't cuss, that's inappropriate, you can't do that. So we store those words in a special part of the brain. And then that's what makes them so powerful. So we pull them out. It's like the big guns, I guess. So that's kind of a, a long background to how I discovered all of this and found it useful. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I don't know if anyone out there has ever gone on a good profanity rant but that sense of relief and satisfaction, like once you've gone to the other side, it's like, oh, all right, I feel better. <laughs> you know? Yes. And yeah, and I, I would guess if you put somebody in a PET scanner, you would see things going on in the brain that actually support that release. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you're talking about the voices in your head. Over here, we have a name for it. There's a, there's a special station. It's called KFUC Bleep, you know? <laughs> Dot. <laughs> you know, it's true. There is a special radio station. It exists in most of our heads, you know, and we either like dial it in or we dial it out. And I think that is really what you're talking about is using this M-O-M-F approach, move on mother fricker, um, to move in and out of, of our minds in a, in a directed conscious way. Absolutely. So underlying all of this is people have to figure out what terms fit for them because we don't ever want it to be self-abusive or mean-spirited. It's about actually quite the opposite. It's talking to yourself like a friend would. So you figure out what terms work best for you in different situations. But for me, when I call myself as the MFer, which by the way, I talk about I'm momfing or I've momfed or I need to momf. It's a way that I can talk about it and uh, in public and, and no one's giving me the stink eye. But um, <laughs> it, when I call myself out as the MFer, personally, I'm saying, look at you. You're doing that and you know that's wrong. You know you shouldn't be doing that. You are making things worse. Stop. But in a very supportive way. And again, I'm a huge believer in if we can evoke some laughter, because we're all humans, we're all going to make mistakes, and we're all in it together, but we don't need to judge it. And it's saying, stop, enough, let it go. Mm. So you're saying to use the vocabulary or the terminology, whatever, whatever it is for the individual, 
as sort of a, a reminder or a limiter to the rant or the rumination? Yeah, it's a cue. Okay, now you've taken it too far. Yeah. You need to stop. You're out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm grinning from ear to ear because I applaud you for giving us permission, right, to go out there with our, our closeted languages and, and make some use of it. Yeah. And in my book, one of my favorite stories, it's, it's probably one of the first times that I had introduced this idea to somebody in my office. And in, the, in my book, I, t- I call this person Peggy. And I was telling Peggy about how to sort of transcend work toxicity. And we talked about the mom approach. She didn't understand me. And she was getting very excited because she was going to go into work and she's going to call all these other people MFers. And she was getting just really thrilled at the idea of telling these MFers to get lost. And um, I smiled from ear to ear and I said, Peggy, you're the MFer. And and she was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you saying? Calling herself like, out. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I hear, I hear how excited you are, but you're the MFer. And all of a sudden her eyes got wide and she says, Oh my gosh, I am the MFer. And realizing why that is so powerful is we give up so much control over our moods and our emotions to other people. People make me angry or they make me upset or whatever in the moment that you own that and you realize you're playing that role. You have so much more control than you perceived. Yeah. Well, we do. I think that that's the, that's the, the mythology. We think that we are powerless, that we have no control over our lives, and we don't really have control over what goes on out there, but we do have control over what goes on between our ears and our actions. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and there will always be crazy nonsense going on outside, mm. always, mm-hmm. but we can't let it dictate what we do with it. And I think that is the key is feeling empowered and saying, I get to choose how I want to handle this. Yeah. There was a video, a a short meditation video that was done a few years back by a man by the name of Jason Headley, I think did it. And it was called the Let That Crap Go Meditation. And I'm being very kind in my description because that's not really the title. And I used to play that for my own clients who would come into their sessions or the groups that I would run all in a swivet about their lives. You know, I'm like, I'm going to play you the best meditation ever. It's going to sure to make you come present and sure to make you laugh. How did you, have you ever heard that one? I have. And I Love it. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And I I think it, again, just makes you, you get a really good belly laugh. Yeah. And it it is illustrative of what you're articulating too, in that it's like that all of the science is there, right? The tone of his voice, the music, Mm -hmm. um, sort of inviting one to sort of, you know, get real comfy and get real present. And then you, you know, you, you, you sort of the reality of the language that we speak is part of his meditation and, and part of what you're saying by momfing, you know, and it's effective. It works. Now, if I'm remembering that meditation correctly, he's talking about letting it all wash away. Yes. And I, I think that in the end 
is the most important message because it gets down to um, if the tragedies happen, for sure, and we're going to feel sad about them. But if we allow them to become cancers in our own mind, that's the ultimate tragedy. Because I don't want to say that, you know, people aren't going to feel badly when tragedies happen. Again, they will. But we we have to have an active role in deciding how we're going to make meaning of those so that we can yes. move on and grow. I misspoke about the title. It's actually the uh, the Frick That or the F That Meditation. But I want to go back to what you were saying about sort of the suffering and the loss part and compare to what really goes on in daily life. 99.9 tenths percent of the time, life is just fine. Would you agree? Disagree? Well, it depends what you mean by just fine. But yeah. There are <laughs> the varying average. degrees of ups and downs. I mean, yeah. that tragedy strikes less often. And when it does, of course, we have to we have to manage, we have to grieve, we have to acknowledge what's going on. But our daily lives as human beings, by and large, it just moves up and down, right? With on on a continuum within a zone. So the idea that we use these tools, momfing, or um, the kind of meditation that we've just been talking about, the F that meditation is is for dealing with the average the average human condition. You know, when when bad things really happen, it will require perhaps different tools in addition to this. Right, right. And that's what I say to people, like, let's say you're talking about a traumatic or abusive situation. Well, you don't just move on. And no. it's not about telling yourself to move on. However, moving on or mom thing could be saying, I need to get extra help. It's yeah. about saying, what can I control? Well, part of what you can control is asking and accepting professional help or otherwise. Yes. Let's jump off for a break and come back and continue the conversation with my guest today, Dr. Jody Eckleberry Hunt. The book we're speaking about is Move On MFR, Live, Laugh, and Let Shiza Go. To learn more, please visit www.jodyeckleberryhunt.com, on Twitter at J. Eckleberry Hunt, on Facebook, that's also at J. Eckleberry Hunt, and on Instagram, Jay Eckleberry Hunt. We'll be right back. And that is a freaking promise. Just a second. Before we take that little break, I want to remind everyone to make time in your day to blow off a little steam. Like the old proverb says, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And sometimes life calls for a little guilt-free pleasure. Call it a break, a pause or a mindfully mindless reset. That's just the moment when I like to clear a few levels on Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game with more than 100 million downloads. I'm happily hooked. And if you're anything like me, you will be too. Don't miss out on this fun and casual must-play game that is boredom's worst nightmare. Playing Best Fiends allows me socially distanced connection with my kids at college and friends in different places. Best Fiends gives my brain a rest from the daily routine and challenges me with an exciting puzzle experience unlike any other out there in cyberspace. For more than a year, I've been playing while waiting in lines, and sometimes I even steal a few minutes for myself between virtual meetings. I love that the puzzles increase in challenge level as I progress, giving me a joyful jolt of adrenaline with each win. So why not join me in my happy, harmless fascination over at Best Fiends? The fun never ends at Best Fiends because with more than 5,000 puzzle levels, you'll never run out of goals to achieve. Don't blame it on me. 
if you end up kind of obsessed, download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now let's take that quick break. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back. Let's get back to it. We're talking about cutting the BS, how profanity and reality bombs help us make shift happen. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Dr. Jody Eckleberry Hunt. Jody, prior to the break, we were talking about, you know, how the book came about, how your process and your own experience fed the development of this technique, how the research really supports that swearing is a good thing. It can be cathartic and can really help support us through difficult moments. I'd love to move the conversation to the personal techniques that you go to and that you use to help your patients, clients, and your readers jumpstart their mom thing. Well, I will say anybody who comes into my office, I tell them my goal is to give you as many strategies as possible and you have to figure out what works for you. And I have a colleague who was, he was going through a divorce, or actually he had divorced by this time, and he was starting to date again. And I was asking him what he had noticed. And he said, well, I noticed some familiar patterns. And I was talking to myself and, and I said, no, you're not going to pull that BS again, because that BS always takes you to this bad place. Like, I know you. And I think <laughs> That in the end is my message to people as you try to figure out what works for you is know your own BS. Um, and we all have it. The, the things that the tricks we pull, the victim stories we tell ourselves, bad habits, just be smarter than yourself. And for me, my, my absolute favorite go-to strategies in terms of moving on are exercise. And so when I talk about month, it and moving on, it's whatever you can get to cajole yourself to move on. And sometimes you can't get your mind off of something. So you physically move on. And I like to get on the treadmill or my elliptical machine and just physically work through it. I am a huge believer in uh, the brain as a computer metaphor, and I need to hit the reset button because I'm just not booting up properly. And exercise does that for me. The other favorite that I have is journaling. And actually, uh, folks typically aren't so aware, there is a ton of hardcore research on journaling, a lot of it coming out of Baylor University going back to the 80s. And writing helps you identify those negative or dysfunctional themes, like, for example, not good enough, or everybody must like me, or nothing I do is right, or I'm worthless, or whatever. When we write, we see it on paper, and sometimes it, it really bubbles up how ludicrous some of the things that we think are. And the last thing I will say to that is over a pandemic a lockdown, somebody I was working with was journaling, and I was also journaling. And we were uh, comparing a few notes 
And this other person was writing I. So it was like she was writing about herself. I, my journaling is you. I'm writing to myself. Uh-huh. And it's usually like, oh, no, you're not going to do this today. I know how you feel, but you know what? You're going to get yourself up and you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And you know you're going to feel better, so you just need to stop. So it's also interesting when you journal the pronouns you use and how you journal the how and the what are both super important. Ah, so the tense. You know that if it's a uh, first person, second person, third person, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. And then that makes perfect sense. Let's talk a little bit about the pandemic for a moment and the usefulness. Like I have found myself swearing at the pandemic. Like I have a little litany that I can let loose about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> well, what I have enjoyed about it, it, it has allowed me to spew my verbal venom without it targeting anybody, any human. Yeah. And I I think that's an excellent example of there are very real painful things going on in our world and multiple levels. I I don't, of course, in my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this. And unfortunately, it's all happening at once. That's the problem. And that's very real. And I I, I would not tell people, okay, just move on from that. Right. Just but, swear that away because <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's recognizing that what can I con- what can I control? Right? I can't control all of these external things, but I do have influence in my own life. And uh, one of the days I, I during pandemic my biggest concern at home was the education of my children and Uh, making sure that they got the things that they needed and questioning. And I remember just being preoccupied with that, as well as just the funk of not having a a schedule and, of course, worrying about family members and that sort of thing. But I remember one day I walked into the kitchen and both the kids were on a, a computer and I was feeling kind of blah. And what I did was I caught that and said, what are you doing? You know what? You are so grateful to have the, or excuse me, you're so fortunate to have this moment when your kids are home and everybody's safe. And I just start, there was no music playing or anything. I just started dancing on purpose. And the next thing you know, I kid you not, my teenage boys, one by one, got up and just started dancing with me. Oh. No music. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful I have this. And again, that doesn't take away that there are painful things going on. But in that moment, I was creating unnecessary suffering. And I just created a beautiful memory that I'll always have in the middle of the ugliness. Oh, my, my eyes are closed and I have a vision of what you describe with you and your sons, who I, I don't have a picture of them in my mind, but I get it. You know, just sort of the, the spontaneity of the whole situation amidst of a very trying set of circumstances. And that is something that we all have the power to do every day. It takes a lot of work. And and I, I don't mean it to sound easy. This whole philosophy of, and, and I get it, there's a, a very sexy aspect of the, the cursing. I hope to reel people in, though, to this idea, this is a new philosophy of life. It is forcing yourself 
to look at things differently, forcing yourself into accountability. And it's not just a technique that you learn and then you move on. This is something you practice regularly. Well, what I, what I hear you saying is that you're, you are really asking people to get real with ourselves, to look in the mirror, to be able to call out what's happening um, in a humorous way. You know, and it's also very, very liberating. You and I talked about this before we began this conversation about the, the stage of life that we are both at. There is some liberation going on just by numbers. <laughs> I think, I don't know. Maybe it's chemical. You know, what's happening hormonally? I, well, and it could be a combination of everything, but I also believe that it's all this life experience that we've accumulated giving us a self a sense of accomplishment. And I think where all of this is going, just to dovetail with what you just said, is I don't see people ultimately as being victims. We are victims of things that happen for sure, but I see people as survivors. And so while I absolutely have compassion, I always get back to, and what can we do about it right now? Like, yep. let's come up with a plan. And, you know, a great example I've been having lately, and I think it, again, is a product of my age and experience, is talking with women who come to see me and uh, are looking at jobs, as a lot of people are changing jobs, and I'm asking them, did you demand the salary that you deserve? And I find that women are just, again, so loath to do that. And men do that all the time. And so... I do believe that women are underpaid. Absolutely. And there is there is a, a system a in place that keeps that yeah, keeps it happening. But you know what? Women have a role. They have to stand up and say, This is what I'm worth. And I, I, I so we all have a role again to play, even in circumstances that try to keep us down. And that's what being a survivor is. And that's what I hope that people get. We're nearly out of time, and I have one more question for you concerning um, breaking loose the inner profanity speaker. So say you've got, uh, you're working with somebody who really doesn't like to swear, doesn't swear, you know, has a whole set of beliefs around, you know, um, the words that they speak. How can you help that person, you know, give permission to themselves to use this modality Um to help. So, and and that is a question that I've been asked asked before. I certainly don't think the approach in using profanity is for everyone, uh, especially if you're going to be abusive with it. However, for people who don't feel comfortable cursing, I think you can still use the overall philosophy, but you have to find a vocabulary that catches your attention. Yeah. And perhaps it's a pet name from childhood or whatever. But it's something, an unusual set of words or a couple of words that get your attention. Yeah. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the uh, DEFCON level of swear words, you know, like one of the one of the little words that we use around here is being slothful. <laughs> you know, that has a very negative connotation, yeah. but it is very descriptive sometimes of what happens. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. That's great. So you can go mild, right? You don't have to go all the way. Absolutely. There are code words. What I use with my teen boys, by the way, these days, I'll say, the world is not your toilet. And um, essentially what I'm saying by that is quit dumping your crap all over the place. Oh, and that's brilliant. So that, 
we get the message across. Yeah, I love that. The world is not our toilet. Actually, it's so true. (laughs) You know, it's not like we need to like be responsible for where we take a dump and what we do with said dump. You got it. I I think you and I have connected at a a very real level. At a soulful level. (laughs) Absolutely. At the soul of potty mouth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's and it's constructive uses. Well, this has been a pleasure. Come back and hang out, swear with me anytime to learn more about my guest today, Dr. Jody Eckleberry Hunt. Her latest book is Move On, Mother Effer, Live, Laugh, and Let Crap Go. To learn more, please visit jodyeckleberryhunt.com on Twitter at jeckleberryhunt on Facebook and Instagram. Those handles are both the same, J Eckleberry Hunt. Also, I would love for you to mention the other books that you've written because this is not your first rodeo with language. <laughs> well, my other book is Swear Your Way to Sanity, but it is no longer available because it is it is I think too similar to the Move On MFR and but I, I will say this book is sort of a much much better version of that. Ah, all right. Well, we're going to hang out again. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. back continuing the conversation about what it means to cut the bs how profanity and reality bombs serve to make shift happen my next guest is gary john bishop gary john bishop is one of the leading personal development experts in the industry he is the new york times best-selling author of unfrick yourself as well as stop doing that and do the work His urban philosophy approach represents a new wave of personal empowerment and life mastery that has helped more than one million readers achieve miraculous results. Gary, I am so happy to have you back. And what makes me smile from the inside out is I know that you are in the midst of a physical move. You're moving houses today and you've, you've pulled over on the side of the road. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. To chat with me. And I think that it's timely on multiple levels. Firstly, you are a walking, living, breathing human example of the work that you speak about. And also you and I have spoken about the whiny stew that many of us find ourselves seeping in at this time. And this book is very, very timely because it offers a different approach, a different strategy. Talk a little bit about this, this new book, because it's, it's cool. It's good. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to talk with you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, with, there's life always happens, but then there's, what are you committed to when life happens? So that's, that's exactly the place that I find myself in today. But one of the things, there's a couple of things in this book that, that I really wanted to get out there. One was, what is it to be wise? Like, what does it take for me to add wisdom to my locker? I feel like, how do I do that? Because, you know, we know lots of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily live for us like a wisdom. It's more like a knowledge. So how do I get knowledge and have that start to show up for me and interact with me in a way 
that changes the direction of my life. But the other big part of this book is to start to kind of raise your eyes above above your immediate concerns. And and I, and it is a concern. I mean, like I have a concern that in our search for personal freedom, we're losing sight of the the ultimate game. And 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 in my view, the ultimate game is how we're doing. And and I think that and I, and it's kind of shocking at times, like when you come across somebody, you know, in the media or somewhere, who is not in it for themselves, but is actually in it for us. We treat that either with either a sense of surprise or a sense of kind of cynicism, like it can't be true. Mm. And I, and so I'm I'm encouraging people to start to see their environment a little more in terms of us than than I. Well, I think in the media, there is so much going on. Some of it is earnest. Some of it is propaganda. Some is truth. Some is, you know, bull. But when you talk about freedom and the ultimate freedom residing from within, that there is no government that can actually legislate true freedom. Well, you know, Heidegger would have said something like, he would have said it a lot more eloquently than I, but Heidegger would have said something like, um, freedom is the action that you take when faced with your default self, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting idea. You know, it's like, well, because, you know, we've got notions of freedom, like, you know, and ideas of freedom. And for a lot of us, it's just, comes down to doing what I want, when I want. But if you consider that most of your brain is occupied by automatic thoughts and behaviors, well, yeah, that's the place you would start. It's not It's not necessarily something you would look to others to provide for you. You know, I mean, I, I think it was Nelson Mandela that said when he was imprisoned, he always had the experience of being free. So how does that work? How do you even do such a thing? You know, mm-hmm. like, how do you even... How do you even generate such a phenomenon for yourself? But yeah, if you're looking for answers outside of yourself, I think you might get disappointed. Let's go back to that, because that is wisdom. When you can find that freedom within oneself, regardless of external circumstance, that is the good wisdom that you speak of in the book, Wise as F, (laughs) you know, (laughs) your newest book. Sorry to be so silly with the title, but, you know, I'm going to get my hand slapped by a certain station manager who shall remain nameless. Yeah. So the good wisdom, the good wisdom yeah. that comes from good actions. Well, well, uh, part of my problem with what we think is wisdom is little more than really just the kind of statements that make us feel better about, or at least a little more positive about whatever condition or life is in. But one of the things that I notice with the, some of the items that I talk about in the book that are now wisdom for me, like they they show up for me in times of need. And I think that's what good wisdom does. It shows up for you in times of need and and shifts you, right? And, and it shifts you in another direction. Um, and, and, I, and I focused on four areas. I focused on loss, love, success, and, and fear. And because I feel as if those are the areas that we need to have something to lean on, in those times. And and it's something, one of the things I love about the wisdoms that I've adopted in my life and I've, and I've adopted, that I've adopted them as my own 
they sort the mess out, but it's rarely comfortable. Hmm. You know, like it, it kind of, it tells me what to do when I'm, when I would rather not do that at times. <laughs> but, but I know if I stick to it, it'll work it out for me. So it's independent of my thoughts and my feelings. So for a listener who may be really dealing with some significant losses, whether it is the, yeah. the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of a, a lifestyle or a kind of life that they once had, and they're yeah. confronted with these, you know, real tangible, necessary shifts in life. How yeah. would you coach someone to tap into that good wisdom and apply it to those places of pain and suffering. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I like the way that you kind of said that there, because loss isn't just like somebody or, a, or like my pet dying or something. It's not always that. Loss can be something very subtle. I, you experience loss, you know, and whenever there's a kind of disappearing or the ending of a future that you had in mind, and ultimately, that's what all loss comes down to. There's some future that was on your mind, whether you're aware of it or not really doesn't matter. But there's this kind of hum in the background of your brain that the future is a certain way and it's or it's going to be a certain way. So if like a pet dies or a person dies, or you lose your job or, you know, your business fails or whatever it might be. What it reveals is like that kind of that space in your future that's no longer going to be there. And it includes that little bit of helplessness, like there's nothing you can do about that. And we become so attached to that future. We become so connected to it that all we can really do is lament the loss. There's nothing else really to do. We're just lamenting. It's like, oh. Man, this is terrible, and I'm led. And so people often think, well, it's the loss of a person, it's the loss of a past, or a loss of the present. It's really the loss of the future. It's like a future that you had in mind is no longer going to happen. So I say to people, the first thing you got to do is acknowledge it. Like, don't pretend it's not happening. Don't try and cheer yourself up. T to experience loss is a big part of being a human being. And, and allow yourself that experience, like grant yourself that space in your life that, that it's okay. And in many cases, by the way, in most cases, completely appropriate. Like it's appropriate. It's not inappropriate for you to lose it if somebody dies. That's appropriate. Right. And at the same time, this is the part in the book that I, that I really – like this is the kind of wisdom that I adopted for myself a number of years ago that just serves me in times of loss. And and the wisdom is like I, that I have a say in where this loss gets located for me. Like where am I going to let this sit with myself? Am I going to let this sit for me like, like in terms of like I've been damaged or hurt or or am I going to find somewhere else to locate this? And so I use the example of um, – People in my life died. And I talked about my father dying, and in uh, his passing, I I located his passing in a place with myself where every time I have a memory of him, I actually feel better. 
Like I, mm. I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm nurtured by him. And how I was able to get myself there was that he's not gone. Like how, how could he be gone? Right. I mean, I have, I have like memories and emotional connections and, and he lives on in my, not only my internal conversation, but in conversations that I have with others, like he is a full and expressive part of my existence. Like that never ended. I, I don't get to see him and in the flesh. I don't get to touch him, but he is vibrant and alive in my in the in the life of my conversation. So what you're saying is the relationship doesn't die. That the that it the, never ended. Right. The physical the physical uh, his physical manifestation on Earth has ended, but the relationship right. has never ended. It never uh, ceased. Right. And it's, and, I, and there's times when I really feel as if it's getting better. Mm. Like my relationship with him is getting more powerful. Like my, my relationship with my mom has, when she was alive, uh, you know, I, I did a tremendous amount of work on that relationship. And I even talk about that a little in the book about the, the presence of love in my life. But it was like, this is ever growing and, sense of 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 my connection with these people um and and there's a there's times when i when i experience the kind of sadness like i experience that but even then like it it kind of thickens my day like i'm i'm more alive i'm more empowered and i'm and i'm more nurtured from from my my being in the presence of them, even when they're not there. And by the way, that's the case for people who in your life who are alive. Like you might not see that person. They might live in the other end of the planet, but you live in, their, their, in the knowing of them. You live in their presence, even though you might not have spoken to them for two years, you live in their presence. I agree that with you. That doesn't end when somebody ends. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Gary John Bishop. We're talking about his newest book, Wise as Frick, Simple Truths to Guide You Through the You-Know-What <laughs> Storms of Life. To learn more about Gary John Bishop's work, please visit GaryJohnBishop.com, on Twitter at GaryJohnBishop, on Facebook, that page is one in seven billion, and on Instagram, it's at GaryJohnBishop. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with my guest today, Gary John Bishop. We're talking about cutting through the BS. 
how profanity and reality bombs help us to make shift happen. Let's get back to the conversation. Gary, prior to the break, we were talking about the loss of a loved one and how that relationship continues to flourish in your experience through your process, even after they are gone from this physical earth. But I would love to touch upon how we can work with loss and fear in these present times of uncertainty. The world is experiencing it. The world is going through both its most difficult moment in history, perhaps, and also one that is pregnant with possibility and opportunity. Yeah, I think the first thing we have, I mean, with everything that I ever do, and I really mean everything, my first step is always to pause and get connected to reality. I mean, that doesn't matter what I'm doing. My first step is always to pause. And, and if I stop long enough, I'll realize that there's a distinct difference between what's happening here, the reality of what's happening, and what's been running through my head. And there's, while the world is undoubtedly always in chaos, for the most part, it's a pretty predictable chaos. It's, it's relatively predictable how this thing is going to go, right? When you get up in the morning, you can pretty accurately predict that the sun's going to go from one end to the other. And whatever season you're in, the weather will go in a number of directions that are relatively predictable. And the, the people in your life will be relatively predictable and your job will be relatively predictable. And it's it's pretty predictable that your car will get you from here to there. But there are times when, you know, some of that stuff can get really messed with. And, and part of what we're dealing with right now is this real unpredictability. It's hard to predict this. So we are unsettled. Like we're not we're not okay with this. And that's largely why we're so stressed out right now. We're so stressed out because we can't predict how it's gonna go. But I will say to people, you know, you gotta have a little more faith in yourself, right? And how do I have a little bit more faith in myself is I I start to realize the degree to which I'm trying to have what's going on right now match with what used to go on. (laughs) It's true. And that's the struggle. That's really where a lot of your angst is coming from. And it does, it's not matching up. And, and so I I often think it is like, why is it that some people in times of great chaos, like they can thrive and others just really suffer. And, And it's come down to one thing. You're either here for what's actually here or you're here trying to make this be like something that used to be here. Mm. And it, and if you're here for what's actually here, that's when you talk about this kind of the world being pregnant with possibility because it's always filled with possibility. The question is, are you here for it or are you trying to make this be familiar? Because it's not familiar, it's unfamiliar. And so the, the little analogy I like to use is, look, you're hardwired, you're equipped to walk naked into a forest and come out the other side of it. What makes you think you can't handle this? Hmm. Amen. <laughs> we can. Yeah. We can yeah. handle this. I think that yeah. many of us are really realizing we can handle this. You know, we can... Yeah stay at home or wherever we we are, we can hunker down, we can get creative, we can connect in ways that are new and different and and make something of this life that did not measure up to those expectations. 
and, and by the way, that's something we've been doing all along anyway. Yeah. There's always some constraint, always. We are stronger and better than we believe ourselves to be. For sure. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the theme that keeps emerging for me. The, you know, one of the things I, I hear you suggesting, too, is that when we move more in sync with the rhythm of life, there is less static and hence less needless suffering. Yeah, you got it. I mean, you know, life is a dance. It's not a march. You got to <laughs> dance. You know, you got it. And it's and it's all free form. Right. So it's not like you've got a few moves done. Like everybody's trying to dance. Everybody's trying to get their thing done. And one of the things that I think we need to kind of we need to let go of is that other people know what they're doing, but you don't. Right. I mean, we're all making this up. It's it's not a march. It really is a dance. And your job is to create and dance in the way that you want. And, you know, let people do whatever the heck they're doing. But again, you know, I, I really feel as if human beings have like a brilliant capacity for overcoming things. You have an amazing capacity to create if they give themselves permission. And and to get themselves a little outside of the box, it's it's kind of shocking that six months ago everybody was complaining about how crap the lives were, and then they get this life and and an opportunity to shift something. They're like, and then they start hankering for the old one. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I agree with you because well, I think that's a state of humans, right? So that that state yeah. of discontent. All we're bowls with holes. We're always wanting more, and then we get what we think we want, and and suddenly, you know, we're yearning again for something else rather than containing right. all the goodness that we do have, even though it might not be right. perfect. Right. We're getting busy building lives we don't really want. Mm. Isn't that true? Isn't mm -hmm. that true? Let's talk a little bit about the path to freedom, you know, through through the inner wisdom and a life of service. You know, when we step outside of ourselves, when we check the ego and say, well, you know, it is not actually all about me and the the, the pursuit of goodness or a joyful life or a satisfying life is through showing up, you know, for others and in that process, becoming more satisfied and filled ourselves. Yeah. It's this kind of weird thing. So uh, when I, so there's people who'll say, you know, that's my problem. I'm always doing things for others. Right. And so, and I never think of myself and I get that. I really understand that. But, I, but people who find themselves in that place in life, I would invite them to consider that in the background of their mind, they were thinking of themselves when they were doing what they were doing. Like there was something in the back of their mind that they thought they would get out of it that they didn't. Yeah. And so that's that's a good a good indicator that it was never truly about doing the thing, no matter how great the thing might have been and honorable and noble or whatever the thing might have been for you, that you did have some kind of hidden skin in that game that you might not have been aware of. But Sometimes when, when I say to people, you know, I'm not in this for me, I'm in this for you. One, like I said earlier, they think it's a scam. <laughs> yeah, a or, little snake oily. <laughs> right. They think it's a scam or or they think like I'm somehow 
you know, like floating on air or something, you know, like there's clearly something about me that's different from everybody else. And, and, and both of those things are completely inaccurate, right? Like wildly inaccurate because it, it doesn't seem normal to devote your life to others having a great life, right? And when I say devote, I really mean like, you know, it's in the way that I go to the supermarket. It's in the way that I interact with my children. It's the way that I talk to my neighbors. It's the way that I write my books. It's the way that I interact with life itself. It's, it's where I'm always, where I'm coming from. I've lost count the number of times I've had powerful people, conversations with people in a store. And my only intention was to make a difference from what, for whatever they were dealing with. Um, and, and it's never a burden for me. It's I'm never tired of it. I'm never burned out by it because I'm, it's, it's using me. I'm kind of getting used up by it. And, and, and the more that I get used up by it, the more invigorated and enlivened I get and the bigger difference that I make. So in other words, I've noticed that when I'm at my lowest, it's all about me. And that when I'm at my best, it's about you. Which is really a p part of servant leadership, right? That each one of us is a leader in our own way. And when we leave, lead through this ethos of service, you know, how can I support you? How can I uplift you? Not for my own good, but for yours and the greater good of which mine's included in that greater good. For sure. I mean, look, I, it's funny because when, if you have, if you've ever been to India and, and, and been seeing that culture, there's a big thing there about being of service, right? In yes. India, like it's a big thing. Siva. But, but <laughs> right, right. But at the same time, like culturally, even in that society, there's like hidden resentments and all kinds of stuff, you know, like hidden in the background. Um, and, you know, and I've, and I've delivered a lot of workshops in that particular cultural conversation. And it's amazing what comes out when you start to kind of get what's in the background, not for everyone, but for certainly for a number of people. But, uh, but the other side of that is like uh, the kind of Western relationship to being of service is kind of like to being a subservient. Yes. Which is submit. not the same. Yes. Right. It's not the same thing. Like what you were kind of alluding to there so eloquently was, no, you're actually leading the way. Yeah. You're actually, you're actually elevating life. You're actually contributing and bringing some to the table. And somebody asked me this question on many years ago, and it was sh shocking to have to answer it. And the, and the question was, what are you actually bringing to this world though? Like what, what are you, what are you producing? And once I get past, you know, like the immediate things, they, well, you know, I'm a good brother and I'm a, you know, married, and, you know, I get past all that stuff and I'm like, well, I had to really confront that the world was not a better place because I'm in it. And I just thought, screw that. Like, what, what, what am I doing here then? You know, and, and that, that's, that was kind of like the kind of beginnings, like this little spark of fire of making my life meaningful, like, like to live a meaningful life. And, and it, that life won't come and get you. That requires creation and action and work and dancing with what society presents as with and people present as with and the everyday problems that we all deal with. But 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 I feel as if like 
the problems that I have in my life are the right kind of problems now. Like they're they're not any less. They're just the right ones. Good problems are good to have, you know. Yeah. Like a proper yeah. a proper problem is is good is is uh, yeah. can be really 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 uh, constructive. We're nearly out of time, and I wanted to read from Wise as a Frick: Simple Truths to Guide You Through the. S Storms of Life, which is your newest book. There was a page near the end that caught my attention and it's entitled It's Showtime. There's a reason why I peacefully and gracefully don't give a frick about what others think of me. It's simple. I'm not like a robot without feelings or fears or triggers like everyone else. It's just that I'm gripped by something else entirely. I'm engrossed in the game, not the spectators. I put myself, my thoughts, my ideas, and my passion into this game. I'm not angry at the observers. I expect them. They ultimately have no impact on me because if they did, that would be about me. My life isn't about me. It's about you and how I might be of service to life. That's the game. It's beautiful, Gary. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm pretty. I'm, I'm actually pretty delighted with how I wrote that. <laughs> well, you, well, you should be. I'm pretty delighted to share it. <laughs> Gary John Bishop, as always, thanks for coming out, hanging on the side of the road to talk with yeah. me today. <laughs> I love that. Good luck with the move. Good luck with the book. Yeah. To learn more about Gary John Bishop and his precious work, please go to GaryJohnBishop.com, on Twitter at GaryJohnBishop, and Facebook, that is one in seven billion. And on Instagram at Gary John Bishop. Thank you, my friend. This was awesome. Thank you so much for yet another wonderful conversation. Uh, I I so appreciate you. Have a glorious day. You too, Lisa. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Dr. Jody Eckleberry-Hunt and Gary John Bishop, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember... Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.